The sermon this morning is from Ephesians 2, 13 to 22. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access into one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Does anybody remember when Ted Koppel, does anybody remember who Ted Koppel is? Yeah, yeah all right, some of us do. Those of you who are younger, there was a day when we old folks got all our news from like only one or two people. It's really, it's, it's weird. And, one, and so they had a lot of authority. They could speak with a lot of authority in, into the world. And Ted Koppel was one of them. I, he had a great way of presenting himself. Very uh, good-looking man, very well-spoken. At some point in his career, he decided he would end his, uh, his, his nightly broadcast by saying the word peace. It's kind of a peace, you know. Do you remember this? Anybody remember this? I remember the first night it happened. Because you, my parents always watched, happened to watch this news program, so I remember watching it as a kid. And, and I remember when he said it, because I, I, I remember it was kind of striking. He, just, he, he ended his, his news broadcast and he said, peace. To the camera, said peace. He was mocked so much for that. I mean, they, they, there were articles in the New York Times about it. There were people mocking him for having said, for saying that, for just expressing that sentiment, peace. I was that was kind of funny. Well, why, why did they give him such a hard time? I mean, we all know peace out and all that kind of stuff. Or well, that kind of. But what's the? Why? Why, why did that bug everybody so much? I, I guess I can't answer that. I don't know. But, but there was something pathetic about it. There was something pathetic about it. What I mean is, is, that, is that who cares if Ted Koppel says peace a million times at the camera? It doesn't create anything. It doesn't cause anything to happen, does it? Just because a man gets up and says, peace, brother. I mean, it's just words at that point, right? I mean... I get why people kind of hear a guy say that and kind of go, what? what, are you the person who brings us peace now? Are your well-wishing going to make me a better person because you spoke peace to me? At that point, it just gets corny. It just feels stupid. It, it feels like a man aspiring to be something or do something he could never aspire to do or be. Then you come to this passage. Jesus, he himself, he of himself, he of his own self, himself, is our peace. 
all of a sudden, you just, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you get why Ted Koppel couldn't do it. And the king of kings, the prince of peace, can. <laughs> okay, okay, peace, love, joy, hope. These are the themes of Advent. It's one of the reasons we're looking at peace today. It's in our text we've been in already. And so I wanted to explore it together, just talk about peace, and talk about what does it mean, and maybe explore it together. And I think we'll, we'll find there, there are two things we're going to observe about peace tonight. And first is that there's this idea of peace created, peace forged, peace made. Something, something objective, something, something transactional about the peace that Christ himself is. But then there's also another side. There's a transactional bit, but there's another piece to it, isn't there? Peace to the peace, yeah. There's another piece to it, and that's a personal peace. It's like, that's not something that's transactional. It's something that you experience, something that's in you, something that's, you say, oh, I'm at peace. You know, one of the reasons I, I, I don't, wouldn't particularly choose to preach on this is because I'm not naturally a peaceful person. Like, I don't, I don't experience inner peace. Ask my wife. I'm very much, ah, you know, I'm not, not a peaceful person. What do I know of peace? What do I know of peace? Anyway, but I, I think I do. I think I do. I think I learned something from the scriptures. Uh, and I hope I do. I hope I can impart, impart something to you. Peace. Yeah, all right, the word doesn't work. That's one of the problems we have. The word doesn't work. Oxford English Dictionary. Anybody read the Oxford English Dictionary for fun? If you don't, you're missing out. It's a lot of fun. It really is amazing. Anyway, uh, you, can, you have a free copy. Uh, all of you have a free copy through the uh, San Francisco Public Library. It's online. And if you're a member of the library, you can, be a, you can go read the OED. I always wanted a copy. When I was a kid, a kid when I was in college... You could buy, you could actually buy, you could get a copy of the Oxford English Dictionary in two volumes with a, with a magnifying glass. So you can actually read it with a magnifying glass, look at the entries. If you look at the word peace, look at the word peace, definition after definition, there's six of seven, there's seven or eight of them. But the first six of them begin with this word, these two words, freedom from. That, that doesn't, that's, that's how you, every, every definition starts. Freedom from conflict. Freedom from noise. Freedom from, just starts listing all the different ways you can use that word peace as a descriptor or as a noun. As, and, and what, and, and, but everyone, one after another, all they describe when they describe peace is the absence of something else. Well, that's very important for us to see that. Because that's the nature, that's the, that's the weakness, that's the problem, that's the, that's the misunderstanding in the word. We, we have this all the time with language. We've seen it before here, haven't we, in the Ephesians already? We've already seen that human language has a failure point. The human language has a limit. Human language gets to a point where it can no longer describe God and his things. Who he is and what he's like. Human language fails. We know this, we're going to find this, we're going to find in the next chapter, because Paul's going to talk about the idea of knowing what's unknowable. Well, something unknowable, it's a language problem, right? It's a language problem. But God is merciful, or God is kind. So he didn't have a lot of time with the Greek language, he didn't, he, he didn't appear to the Greeks, he didn't call the Greeks his chosen people, he called the Hebrews his chosen people, because, we, because they speak Hebrew in heaven. No, that's an old rabbi joke. 
So God takes the Hebrew language and literally speaks it for thousands of years <laughs> through many different people. Well, that's an important point because what happens over that period of time, he is able through Jeremiah, through Isaiah's mouth, uh, through, through Moses and, and through, through David, he is able to put together a new word for the world, a new concept, an idea of peace that isn't the absence of strife. Oh, sure, that's a part of it. What's the Hebrew word for peace? Anybody remember? Shalom. And then all of a sudden, you realize why God created a language like Hebrew. Because in that word is everything that, that, that Paul's talking about. Paul is a Jew. Four times the word peace is used in this text. And each time is the Greek word irene. We get the name Irene from it. That's the Greek word irene. But guess what? The old Greek word simply means an absence of conflict. Placid. Serene. Quiet. Not shalom. What is shalom? We, we just read today in Isaiah 26, this wonderful promise from God. He will keep you in shalom, shalom. Perfect peace. He will keep you in shalom, shalom. Remember that Hebrew grammar? Whenever it repeats a word, it's a perfect version of that word. Shalom. What is this idea of shalom? And this is where beauty starts pouring out of God. And in the language he used, because shalom doesn't mean, oh no, it means fulfillment. It means wholeness. It means to be complete as a person. It means, it means fulfillment. Fulfillment of who you, that's peace. And if you think about it in your head for just a moment, you're like, well, of course that's what peace would be, right? I, I, don't you want that? Or do you want just the absence of any problem? God is not merely about the privation to get rid of wickedness or to get rid of your sin or get rid of our problem. No, 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 no. He is inviting us. He's beckoning. Look at, don't you hear? I'll keep you in perfect peace. Come. I have, I've got fulfillment of your personhood and all your wholeness that you craved and all the fulfillment you've been seeking. Perfect. Now, now, the reason I get excited about this is because that word and its usage, the shalom, shalom, that perfect peace, that ministry of God's love, is meant to carry the, uh, the announcement and the revelation of Jesus. That's why Paul can say this. That's why Paul in the, in the text gets in this excitement. He himself is our peace. Huh? Because in the Hebrew idea was everything, you see? Wholeness. Completion, perfection, satisfaction, rest, fulfillment. <sighs> that sounds so, that's an awesome version of peace, isn't it? <laughs> but boy, it really reveals things, doesn't it? What a cheat a lot of human peace really is. We'll take a look at that in a second. All right, so, what, so, so how are we going to begin with peace? We're going to begin with the peace that's made. If we look in the language of the text, it's right here. The peace that's made. The peace that's actually created. Let's take a look with me. He himself is our peace in verse 14. And it talks about the end of that peace. Mating us both one and broken down the flesh of the dividing wall of hostility. We're going to talk about what that dividing wall is tonight. 
But, but before we get to that, look what he did. Three verbs, three actions that are described. Abolishing the law. Then second, the second flaw is he creating in himself a new creation, a new man in the place of the two. And third, that's making the peace, that's that making word, that forging word. And then finally, 16th, the third thing, he reconciles us both to God. Now, what is this work of abolishing? Where does that all happen? Well, it all happened just a few verses before we learned how transactional it is by the mention of the blood of Christ. Look in verse 13, the blood of Christ, the blood of the covenant. And I want that all the minute the, minute the blood's in, the minute, the minute blood's on the table, this is contractual. All of a sudden, we just changed, it just changed for a second. This isn't about personal peace anymore. All of a sudden you hear that about peace and peace, peace being made, and just reconciling and creating and abolishing and blood. You know what we're talking about? We're talking about the contract death. This is, this is the bottom line. This is like, this is the fine print. This is what makes peace possible and real in the world. It was transacted by blood. It was And I think this is the, this, this, the reason the text goes, the reason Paul goes here, is in the end, this is where we all need to start. We need to start in the work of Christ on the cross. The dying Son of God, divine and able to defeat death in his death. What a God. But what he affects are the stipulations of the covenant. And he gives blood for blood. And so you are rescued, you are saved. You are freed. Abolishing the law, what does that mean? Free from the judgment on your, on your actions and your sins. What is this new creation? It ain't you anymore. You're a new person. What is the reconciliation? It's the reunion and the reconnection, the reestablishing of a true intimacy with you and God. And it's done by blood. Now, I'm not just fascinated by gore. Christians aren't fascinated by gore. Now we're fascinated by the idea, and we're enticed, I think we're called to be overjoyed by the transactional part of our faith. Because transactions are done. They're done! I have a... Um, because, of my, because of my upbringing... Uh, partly, I guess. I blame it on that. I don't know if it's really that's the cause. But, but because of where I come from, I have a lot of memories I can't get out of my head. And I, I will never tell you any of you, any of them. I've never spoken to a living person. Because I'm too afraid. Now, 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 those haunt me. And, 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 and my wife, speaking, I think, by the Holy Spirit, said, you know, when you're sad, Chris... You don't, you don't, you know, it's like you don't listen to your own preaching. I, um, I hate that. I hate it when she says that. Because she's right. Because that's what the transactional nature of the cross means. You're not allowed to linger. It's done. I'm going back to old pro, they're done. But what about that time? You're done. But what about that person? I know you're done. Did you confess it? You're done. 
Move on. Because you won't have peace until you rest in the transaction, right? You have to go back to the transaction, get rocked back because it was paid for. And if I continue to insist upon some evil event in my past, I have said the transaction is not sufficient. The, love, the, love, the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Son, the eternal blood of the Son of the Covenant, or the Son of God in the Covenant, it's not, not enough. Not enough for this guy. Is, is that true? No, it couldn't be true. Because it would mean I was bigger than God. Praise God I'm not. There's something glorious about the transactional nature of our faith and this back and forth. And this is where shalom begins. And the possibility of shalom is not sentimental. It is not, it is not some hallmark card. It isn't scribbled in nice, in nice scripts so you smile when you see it. No, it is forged in the blood of the sun in a garbage dump outside the city for garbage like me. Praise him. Praise him. I will praise him all of my life for that. Praise him. Okay? And he left my garbage at that garbage dump, didn't he? And why do I still carry it around? I want, I want you to keep me in perfect peace, Jesus, by setting my heart on you. It's objective and trusted and transactional. You know why this finally makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you get this idea that peace is privation, it's just getting rid of conflict, and it's not this wonderful fullness that is established in the very work and love of our God, well, that's, those are completely different things, right? And so when you get to that, that verse where it says he came and preached peace, well, how do you preach that? You can't preach, there's no power in that. But you can preach a transaction. Come, the blood of Christ is sufficient. Some sinner, come, come, put your trust in Christ. The blood, of, the blood of Christ is a substitute for you and the judgment you deserve. Praise him. Peace with God has been made at the cross. Therefore, peace is real, transactional, certain, and in your pocket. Praise him. This, uh, living, living in this indicative, living in this truth is one of the great invitations of the, of the Christian life. This is a fulfillment. This passage is a fulfillment. Me preaching in this hour is a fulfillment of Isaiah 26 where the Lord says, I will keep you in perfect peace if you fix on me. And I'm here to tell you that's true because of what Christ did at the cross and how that blood is secured. Peace. You know, my, my dad, one of the sources... My suffering as a child was my father. He had a very violent temper. Before he became Christian, it was, all, it was out of control. And uh, for a long time, I had a hard time with I already had this picture of God's hand was raised above me. And he was just waiting. And you can imagine Jack was me, and he, God was just waiting. It's like, you just mess up, I'm going to get you. That's the way I lived under God all the time. Do you ever live like that under God? Like, he's going to get you. You can't have peace there, can you? But when you turn to the peace force of the cross... And you put your trust there. Ah, oh, that's shalom, shalom. That's Jesus. You know, it's interesting. What is this abolishing the law, this, re this rebirth of creation, and this reconciliation? It's freedom, renewal, and restoration. It's all the walks, it's all walks in and describes the very breadth of what? Shalom. 
There is a peace in alcohol. There is a peace in pot. There's a peace in, there's a peace in entertainment. There's, there's peace in music. But you notice all those pieces of peace? None of them are wholeness. None of them give you this life. They're all cheats. They give you a little, but they take, take with the other hand. Give you a little rest today, but no sleep tomorrow. No rest tomorrow. We know these stories. This is the world's peace. What's this objective peace? <sighs> totally radically, completely different. You know what occurred to me? And we, and we, I've talked to somebody about this. A lot of us don't rest well. We don't know how to rest in God. But I think for the same reason. We think of rest and peace as privation, as like just to not do anything. When we're being invited into all the life of God himself, that's our rest, that's our peace. That is where peace lies. <laughs> Woo. All right. But that just leads up to our, our, second, our second thing, which is the transactional peace that becomes personal peace. Take a look with me at this. <sighs> look in verse... Um, 14. He himself is our peace. I want to write this. I don't have a pen with me. But look, look at the word himself again in verse 15. That he might create in himself. Just keep going. Look down in verse um, look in verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself. Why? Again and again. Himself. Why? Why? What's the point of this? What, what, what's, what's, what, why is Paul so in earnest that you keep saying, he keeps saying Christ himself? I think we're going to, I think we'll find, I think we'll find, I think we'll find out. I think we'll find out in a little bit here, part, part of what he's talking about. But a very real part, the very, on the surface of it, something we need to lay hold of, is that the word shalom now becomes personal. Look, you know, objective peace out there, Sure. Objective peace forged in the blood. Fine. Don't you want something a little bit for you? Don't you want to experience it? Don't you want it yourself? And then I hear all this himself language, and I realized this is meant to be personal. This is meant to be accessed. Now, if you take a personal peace, an experience of peace in himself, in our Savior, and you marry that to a permanent transaction, you have the possibility of peace in all circumstances because your peace is rooted in the cross, grows out of the cross in confidence for yourself in Him. This is why, this is why you get Philippians 4, right? This is why you get Paul describing that there are ways if we are fix ourselves. So that passage from Isaiah 26 he, he will keep you in perfect peace whose what? Whose eye is fixed on you, right? That text from Isaiah 26 is the foundation of Philippians 4. Because later on, Paul takes this idea of fixing your thoughts on God and says, if you do that, if you, if you rejoice in the Lord always, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Um, do not be anxious about anything. But in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, offer your request to God. And what will happen? The peace that transcends all understanding. Working back to that place where you don't have words. Yeah, our peace word isn't even enough. The peace that transcends all understanding. What? 
We guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. All that's just a step past what this is saying. That's just an extra application of the same concept. God says, I will deliver to you, for you, a peace that you can live in, in my son. Because if you're in Jesus, and Jesus is in me, then you're in me. You have my peace forged. Stand in that peace and be at peace. Oh, obviously, this is leading us somewhere, right? This is leading us to the necessity, the absolute necessity of a personal relationship with Jesus. Why do we talk like this? But we have to talk like this. If you know him not as a person, as your person, who you know, then you don't know him. And his peace will always elude you because you haven't put your trust in the place where he forged peace, at the cross, so that he might invade you and know you and make you a new person in him. Oh, it's all there. But you don't get the personal stuff. Now, I want to explain something. I want to encourage you about something. This is just an encouragement to y'all. Um, it's really tempting sometimes to want to make yourself feel peace even when you don't do it. You ever do this? Like, you, just, you got a guy and you're like, I want to feel peace. And you're just kind of demanding about it. Or maybe you're, maybe you're frustrated or you're frustrated by your own sin or failure. And, and there's a hunger for peace we have. Something that settles us down and quiet us. And, 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 I, and, so we can, and I think we can, we can have an attitude and a heart that, that doesn't want to start with a transaction. Hear me here. It's easy to want to go for the experiences with Jesus, right? <laughs> Maybe you had a song that made you feel peaceful once, and you go to it all the time so you'll feel peace again. And then you don't feel the peace, and you're like, why isn't God giving me the peace he was giving me? Because in order to have the you have to focus on the objective parts first. And what I mean is you have to constantly return to the cross. It's a constantly returning to, like, uh, keep practicing eating the cross, Right? Like, like it's, just, it's, it's again and again. Why, why, what? Fix, why, why? Fix, fix, fix. What am I doing? Why, why do I give you communion? I'm training you to fix your eyes on him. Because why? He will keep you in shalom, shalom. Jesus, our peace. Perfect peace. The peace of Jesus himself. Mine, mine, mine. Praise him. So this work, this is this work we're doing. And, it's, and, and so don't get in the habit of wanting to chase the peace, chase the feeling. Chase Jesus. Chase the vision of the cross. Chase remembering. Chase, the, chase, chase worship. Chase these places where God shows up with his love. Huh. Now, all right, I don't think I've said anything surprising to anybody in this room. You're all well-educated enough in Christ to, have, to be able to preach everything I already said. You could probably do it. Without too much trouble. Whew! This text goes someplace you do not expect. All right. Because it really doesn't matter if Jesus forged peace and I feel peace. If in my heart I'm constantly giving everybody else the finger or I'm just angry all the time, right? Like if I'm, if I'm at odds with everybody, then that just, just doesn't make any sense, right? If I hate, if I... Peace has to be something that's... It's seen. It's something. It's, it's 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 supposed to be. It's supposed to be here between me and Ted, and me and Caleb, and me and Katie, and Katie and Caleb. And all of us. It's supposed to be something you see. You could know. There are two great crimes that the people of God. I say people of God with quotes. Commit in history. There are two different crimes they commit in history. 
Well, the first crime is the common one, and that is to, is to give in. Every age and every generation, there are churches here in our city that have done it. There'll be churches in every generation and the generations ahead that will do it. There are, there, there are churches and people of God who will do this in order to be at peace. Just lower the standards. You know, Jesus is just one way. Maybe if we all agree together, we can achieve a whole, all the religions in one pot. Wouldn't that make peace? It's a fake bid for peace. It's an evil bid for peace. It's satanic, but it's real. And it exists right out that door. People are saying this stuff all the time. You guys, they say we're the problem because of the way we hold on to Jesus. We need to give that up. Because don't you know, you're against peace. If we're not, just, can't we all just get along? That's the, one, that's the one crime. It's called syncretism. It's compromise. It's to give in. And, and, and because, look, the things that God says, look, when Jesus says he himself is our peace, there's no room for any other God there, is there? <laughs> Who else can fit there? Can anybody else fit there? But there's another error that Christians do. People of God. I want to say Christians, because these are not necessarily believers. Some, some of them are. And the second crime is worse than the first. The first one is bad. God judged the people of Israel for their syncretism and wiped them off the face of the earth because of it. And that's what the captivity was all about. God will not put up with our playing games with his truth. But the second problem is much worse, much more prevalent in this age, very prevalent in Christ's age. The second one is to do this. If you're not going to play syncretism games, then you double down on your own religious game, and you work that system. I mean, you work it. I mean, look, look, God told me I was chosen. You know what that means? You're not, and you're not. And you're not, and is that what that means? Some people took it to mean that. And what were they were doing? What were they doing? What were the Pharisees doing? They had taken God, they had taken his system, they had taken his temple with its boundaries and its walls, and they put up some of their own, just to be sure. I mean, God's putting up walls, isn't he? Might as well add some. We're, we're in with God. He's all about walls. He keeps a wall between the Holy of Holies and the holy place. You know why? Because there's a wall between his holiness and you. So what we're doing in our system, in our religious system, is we're just putting up more walls so we can make sure you know how holy God is. And not only is God holy, we're holy too. And then don't you come past that wall. And then it's mentioned in the text, the dividing wall of hostility. There is something we, the believers, people do in, around the religious truths of God. They start crafting a system which can support their power, which can make sure the people they don't like are called names and don't get in. All right, by the time that Paul or Jesus is walking around Jerusalem, there wasn't just a holy of holies in the holy place. There was now the court of the Jews, the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the, all these concentric barriers, and you had to go down steps and there was walls. That last wall between Jew and Gentile, every 10, 15 feet, we actually found one of the inscriptions archaeologically about 50 years ago. It's one of the only ones we've ever found. And this is what it says. Any trespasser loitering beyond this point in the temple grounds will be executed if they're a Gentile. See, what they had done is they had taken the truth of God and the truth of God's electing love. The fact that God chose to love is his grace, but they took that as 
something else, a, a system that could game, a system that could work, a system that could make them powerful. And they could, uh, and they could oh, you see, you see it's ugly. You see, it's sin. Presbyterian Church has done this before. So it's the Episcopal Church, so it's the Methodist Church. All churches do this. It's one of the crimes of the people of God. is to make up systems in addition to God's holiness. What does all that do? Destroys peace. See, that's what Paul's talking about here. Because the Gentiles hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Gentiles, and the mutual hatred was all done, especially from the Jewish side, in the name of God. And they were baptizing and blessing their hatred as an expression of the love of their God. See, they didn't have the peace forged at the cross, did they? They didn't have a peace forged in blood. They didn't have a peace a transaction to rest on. They didn't have that, so they didn't have any inner peace either. So what do you do when you have no inner peace and no peace with God? What do you do? When you get desperate, I guess, and you make sure who's in and who's out so you can condemn people. No intimacy with Jesus. Hide your insecurities. Work the system. I saw there's a lot of Wheaton. You see this in Christian schools, especially. It's really sad to watch. But Jesus is offering something completely different. All right, these three himself, it's more than just personal. Something else, some other points being made here about us. You see, we are his present here. In this generation, in this city, in this room, in this place. Oh, I want you to notice something here. Take like, a look at me in the uh, something just, just so wonderful. I, I don't have words to describe it. Take a look at it here. Um, look at verse, in verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And that's talking about the Old Testament law, especially the ceremonial. And he might create in himself, listen to this, one new man in place of the two, but it's not talking about people, it's talking about groups. It's talking about the uncircumcised, the circumcised, it's talking about those in and those far away and those close by. And but it talks about us as being created, that's the word right there, creation to one new man. I was sharing this with, with Joyce because what you know, I, so Joyce and I are praying for. And I confess to Joyce my uh, my my sorrow of the day and my Thoughts about my own sin and how, and I, and I, and so, and I was just a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. So she begins to pray over me. See, see, what this is saying is, by saying that creating the one new man, do you know what God did when he, when he reborn, when, when Corey was reborn? Corey became a new person. You know what happened when I was reborn? I became a new person. But something else also happened. When God made the church this, is a new thing. Our love is a new thing that God's created. It's like a new person in the world. And he keeps saying that Christ saying, I live in it with my own self. I am in you. I dwell and live in you in my divinity and my glory and my beauty and my love. I live in the way Corey and Chris talk, in the way that you love. I live and I proclaim. 
and peace is in the world. See, see, it's, you see, it's funny. We're to, in a sense, we're being invited just to walk into the peace God has already forged and built. And guess what? It's not just first press. It's the whole church. Everywhere we are, God is making a new thing in the world. And when we're together, we are greater than the sum of our parts. That's what that says. He's creating a new agent to forge peace in the world. And its name is First Press. Its name is Trinity. Its name is Dolores Park. It's him. Wow. Guys, if that text is true and what you heard is just true, then you better all, you better all, you better all start treating this place a lot more holy than you do. I mean this place, not the room. I mean this place. This here. This is holy. This is holy. This was created by God to be a demonstration of his peace in the world, how living and real it is, how well forged it lives and walks and talks about Jesus, because it is Jesus. It's interesting. So what happens is the living ministry of the church is the presence of Christ. That's why we talk about, that's why we put up a fence at the table. Christ is here. This is a holy place. This is all sacred. Holy out the yin-yang. It's all so holy. You shouldn't be allowed to touch it. I just said the church was holy out the yin-yang. Did anybody hear that? I don't even know if churches have a yin-yang. But we're claiming his unity, aren't we, in himself. We're living into it. We're being invited into it. And that's why God calls us a temple. That's why we become the living place. Our hands, our eyes, our words, and relationships become the place that peace is brokered as we tell people of the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. And they are witnesses together of a new love, a new thing. Mm. Don't I sound kind of naive about the church? You've all been hurt by churches, haven't you? And we've all been wounded or hurt at some point by what I just described. But I just don't want you to give up hope. Don't give up hope. Christ is about creating a new, something new in the world. You know, science says that matter is neither created nor destroyed. Can't be, because the, the universe has to be a close set for them. Had a heck with the scientists. They don't know anything. Why Jesus makes new things all the time. And we are a part of it as his people. You know, maybe this is why, I'll end with this, maybe this is why in the end, <laughs> the angels go bonkers every time somebody becomes a Christian. <laughs> we know this, they celebrate like crazy. They go nuts. They're just, they have, they have a party to celebrate. We don't. We're lucky if we get a few smiles and an amen or thumbs up. They go bananas. Why? Peace is forged. But even more than that, something new is being born into the world, not merely in that person, but in the bride of Christ. Guys, I just want to be, I want you to get it with me. I want to ask Jesus to, that he would let us be people who can carry that grace, his grace, to the city. Amen? Father, let us be the messengers, the harbingers, the the hands and feet of your grace and your love, the mouth of your love, preaching your peace. We ask for this blessing in the Holy Spirit. Amen.